Welcome to Inspire on the Go. This season, we are featuring stories of transformation. Each person has a story, and we want to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others. As you listen to today's episode, I encourage you to think about your story. How is God working in your life? I promise you, He is on the move. Grab your cup of coffee and enjoy this episode of Inspire on the Go. Hey, sweet friends, it's Andrea. I hope that your day is off to a great start. I'm so excited to bring you this new series on telling our story, being ready to share our story. And we're going to be featuring women from across Arkansas and around the United States who have powerful stories of transformation. And what I think we have to really celebrate and remember from the very beginning is that all of us have a powerful story of transformation. So I'm joined by my sweet friend, Glenda Aminette. Now this lady, she is fun. And I told her before we started, I want the real deal, Glenda Aminette. And she promised me that she would bring it. And so Glenda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Can't Still can't believe that I'm actually doing this, but thank you. How, let's just celebrate the fact that I continually push you yes. into new opportunities, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yes. And you do the same for me. Yes. That's the beauty of a relationship and a friendship. Amen. But I want our listeners to know you and to know your heart, to know your story. So tell us a little bit about you, um, your story, your life, and, and we'll you know just jump in from there. All right. Well, I'll try to make it as concise as I can because I know this is a short window of, yes. t- of time but uh, I am a native of uh, Arkansas I was born in Nashville Arkansas spent most of my life in the southwest corner of the state uh, spent a little time in the Nashville public school systems but actually graduated high school from Delight which uh, we both have yes, people that we know right. from there so uh, it's a small world uh, grew up in a Southern Baptist church for the most part, uh, First Baptist Church in Nashville. When I was uh, five years old, the pastor that was there, his name was Chuck Smithson, and he preached a message on hell. And I knew that I did not want to go to hell. I started crying. Mom uh, took me to him. We talked. He led me through a prayer and stood up and said, she's just as saved as I am. And six weeks later, I, my mom took me down the aisle and presented me as a candidate for baptism, and I became a member of First Baptist Church of Nashville, Arkansas. Wow. Spent the next 16 years as a lost church member because what I had was a fire insurance policy, so I thought. And uh, so many years later, um, after going through the, some things that, praise God, are under the blood, let's just suffice it to say, so that because you, you don't have time for all the dirty history, let's just suffice it to say that the only things I did not violate in Scripture were murder and adultery. Everything else that's there, you, I, you know, I can talk about it. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. In uh, 1978, I graduated high school and met this wonderful, good-looking, tall, long, blonde-haired thing called James Fulton Eminem. <laughs> and he drove a 1958 Chevrolet Apache pickup. I saw the truck first before I saw him. And I'm like, ooh, look at that truck. And then it was like, ooh, look at that guy in that truck. A great combo, right? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. Perfect. All the way around. It was turquoise. And it started in the floor. Beautiful thing. Anyway, um, it was it was literally love at first sight. I laid eyes on him in June. We went on our first date in July. He proposed in August. We married in December. 
that was 43 years ago. So something was right. God was in it. That's all I can say. God was in it. But again, remember, I'm still, I'm a lost girl. Church member, yes. Going to church. In fact, we met on a church parking lot is where I laid eyes on him on the first time. What I did not know at the time that we met and did not discover until after we actually married that he had felt called to ministry when he was a young, you know, when he was 16. Uh, He knew that God had called him to preach at the age of 16. At the age of 19, just one year prior to our meeting, he had decided that wasn't what he wanted to do. So after we, when we met and married, he was running just as hard as he could tooth and toenail from God's call in his life. So needless to say, the first three, four years of our marriage were a little rough, you know, very young. Um, we had our, our first child was born before uh, our first year of marriage was up. And uh, then, uh, you know, he's running from God. I'm lost. So the fact that we hung together through those first four years was a God thing all the way around. At one point in time, I honestly thought that God had, or that I was going to be a a professional singer. Uh, I was going to take Nashville, Tennessee by storm. I I made a little money singing um, paraprofessionally as we, you know, semi-professionally, and uh, went to Nashville, Tennessee, cut a demo, went to the Grand Ole Opry, got to go backstage. Uh, sung with people that you don't even have a clue who they are <laughs> and uh, for people that you don't have a clue who they are the, the old timers will remember the names of David Houston and Farron Young and, and so forth and I, was, I shared a stage with them many many years ago at one point in time but um, anyway in, uh, through a series of events that again we don't have time to and the people are now dead so I, you know, I don't even need to bring their names up but God made it very clear while I didn't realize it was God making it clear, he made it very clear that that was not the avenue he wanted me to go to because I ran into a little tough situation, one of those me too moments. And I had to make a decision. If I'm going to sing, it's because I sing and not because I do anything else. So I walked away from the Nashville, Tennessee scene and went back home and said, I'm just going to be wife, mama, and work at the bank. In, uh, in the meantime, God had moved us from Nashville, Arkansas to Texarkana, where Fulton was working uh, for Red River Army Depot. And uh, grade nine, working for the federal government, making great, and in 1982, it was $10 an hour. Okay, that was great awesome money, money in <laughs> yeah. 1982. And... Um, But it was during that time period of somewhere around the beginning of 82 that I really began. I mean, we were attending church, you know. I mean, we both had had our party scene. But when our daughter, you know, came along, it's like, okay, we got to stop the party scene. I can't do that anymore. So the the smoking the pot and giving up the booze, we, we, we stopped all that because we had a child now. So we had to be responsible. And uh, so we were going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Never fail. Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, Texarkana, Texas. And uh, I began struggling with my position as a, as a Christian and realizing that I might not be there. Dealt with it hard for about six months. And then in June of 1982, God radically, Jesus Christ radically, entered into my into my domain and uh, I was sitting in a, the worship service we had a special speaker 
that morning. Uh, her name, she was a Mission Service Corps volunteer. Her name was Iris Yuri. She's the Iris Yuri Blue now. She was there sharing her story. Wow. And God spoke just as clear to my heart as I could, as you and I are talking now. And uh, it was very clear. Glenda, you're going to die and you go to hell. And if you don't get it straight today, I'm not asking you anymore. Wow. I mean, you, it was just that blunt. Wow. And as soon as the invitation was given, I walked over. I mean, I'm in the choir loft sitting in the middle. There's no middle door. I had to walk over everybody and their dog to get down to the front. And so uh, got to uh, Dr. Troy Culpepper was our pastor. I grabbed Dr. C by the hand, and I said, Dr. C, I need to be saved. And he was like, uh, if, if you're having doubts about it, I said, no, you need to understand. I know what it says. I need to be saved. And that morning, Jesus Christ became the boss of my life. He wasn't my fire insurance policy. He was my Lord, my master, and the, and the controller of everything from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Uh, I've never had a doubt about it since. I mean, you know, and I'm not saying that people who have doubts that there's something wrong, but I know what I was before, and I know what happened after. And um, uh, singing no longer became that, that thing that I had to do. I was not interested in becoming a professional musician anymore. It was, it was like, God, what do you want? What do you want? I know you, because I've been brought up in church, and I know what the Word says, I know I've been saved for a purpose, and there's something that I am supposed to fulfill. You want to do something with me. What is it? And again, through a series of events, he let me know very clearly singing was not where it was supposed to go, either in, in whether it was in Christian music, gospel music, whatever you want to call it. I even had good friends say, oh, man, you need to you know, cut a, a gospel. And I'm going, no, this is not where I'm supposed to go. The, the music business is not it. In November of 1982, my husband walked the aisle during a revival and recommitted his life to Christ and re-surrendered to the gospel ministry. And once again, on those rare moments when I clearly hear God speak to my heart of hearts, God very clearly said, you want to know what I've called you to do? I've called you to be a pastor's wife. And so I, I was not a, a pastor's wife because I happened to be married to the pastor or to a preacher. I was a pastor's wife because that's the vocation that God called me to. And uh, so uh, in 1984, we left everything in Texarkana with our one child, and we moved to Dallas, Texas, where he got his uh, bachelor's degree at uh, Dallas Baptist University. God just opened up all kinds of doors for that. Um, he pastored our, the first church at East Fort Baptist Church in McKinney, Texas. In uh, 86, our second child was born, and uh, he, he finished in 86 with his BA, and uh, then he went on uh, to go to Southwestern Seminary. It took him a little longer to, than, than some folks. It was a six-year plan for us because we'd go a couple of semesters, then have to wait for, to get more money and then go right. another couple of semesters. But he finally finished that up in uh, 1991, 92. And um, in the meantime, we were at Texarkana at Shiloh. Uh, Baptist Church and then Horatio First Baptist Church. He drove, he drove back and forth. This is before the days of doing online. Online was not anywhere in the picture. And so uh, we, he drove back and forth to get to, to seminary to Fort Worth from Texarkana and, and then Horatio to get that degree. 
and uh, then he took a little time off uh, and uh, just concentrated on pastoring and, and uh, being a dad. And uh, then uh, in uh, 2004, um, no, excuse me, 2001, he began his uh, doctoral work at uh, Midwestern and uh, got his uh, doctoral dissertation in uh, um, senior adult ministries, ministering to the homebound and their caregivers. So um, we got a D, a D man, D ed man, excuse me. But uh, the unique thing about that is he came from a, an alcoholic family. He didn't even finish high school. Wow. And uh, when, he, when God got a hold of his life and said, you better quit playing, boy, it's time yes. to get serious. Yes. Uh, he went on and got his GED and then maintained uh, a 3.0 GPA or better the entire time he was in college in Southwestern and then won the Outstanding Doctoral Dissertation Award at Midwestern. Wow. So, you know, uh, it's been a wonderful ride. We now serve as uh, associational missionary and wife at uh, Arkansas Valley Baptist Association in the uh, Delta of Arkansas uh, with three counties, uh, Monroe County, Phillips County, and Lee County. And uh, he pastored five different churches from 1984 until 2014. So, yeah. Yeah. What a picture of God's grace, yes, you know, and that, how God is true? a way maker. <laughs> yes. He is always just making a way for us. And he's working in Fulton's life. He's working in your life. He's yes. working in the lives of the churches. He's working in your children's lives. He's yes. just orchestrating. Yes, and it's so beautiful. So you told us a little bit about Fulton and some of the things that he did. What did your role look like as a minister's wife in those different, you know, churches and in those different seasons of ministry? Initially, because I didn't know that it was okay to say no. Yes, <laughs> you yes. You're young and dumb, and uh, the, you know the first church is kind of like whatever nobody else wanted to do. That's what I did. Yeah. Uh, but it was really funny that it, I never. I, I did take piano lessons when I was a child, and played the piano, you know, quite a bit for my own personal enjoyment. My um, music teacher, once she discovered that I could sing and I enjoyed singing, she really concentrated more on that than she did the piano part of it. So my piano playing ability was rough, to say the least. I could sing at the drop of a hat, still do, but the piano thing is, is still one of those challenging moments. But, but the only question that the very first church ever asked me uh, do you play an instrument? That's the only question they asked. Do you play an instrument? And my response was, for my own enjoyment. All they heard was yes. All right, of And course. so the first Sunday that we're there, the lady who had been on the piano left the piano and went to the organ and pointed to me and pointed to the piano and said, this is yours. Oh, no. And I didn't know enough that I could say no. And so for the next three and a half years, I was the church pianist and I taught in Sunday school and so forth. As time moved on, I began to gradually learn. It took church number three uh, to learn, you know, God did not give me every spiritual gift that's in the gamut. Yeah. Uh, so let's figure out exactly what it is that God did give me the spiritual gift to do. And let's concentrate on that. And uh, I learned that I do have the spiritual gift of teaching. 
and uh, I also have the spiritual gift of administration. Um, my husband will tell you I have the spiritual gift of faith because very little shakes me, but um, uh, I, I know positively that I have the spiritual gifts of administration and of teaching. And so those are, you know, that's what I've used in the past. It's been a little different as an associational missionary's wife because we're not in a single church. Uh, right. We have our church membership at Helena First, but we're everywhere right. all right. the time. And especially when you have pastorless churches, then he fills the pulpit. So um, I, I'm not using the spiritual gift of teaching today in the same context of a teaching a Bible study group or a Sunday school class. Um, it's, it's more sporadic, uh, right. doing the occasional leading a conference or women, you know, a women's event or whatever. Well, let's talk about faith, you know, because uh, you guys have been through it, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and I have seen you demonstrate such faith in the face of really some overwhelming health challenges in, you know, your family's life. So let's talk about some of the hard things. Describe a challenging season in your life. How did God bring you through that? Um, how did others, you know, encourage you as you have walked through a challenging season? Well, as you mentioned, you know, the, the health issues. Uh, we are still, we walk in a challenging season on a continual basis, and we will for as long as the Lord allows my beloved to live. Um, so tell us a little bit in, about his health. In 20, we moved to uh, West Helena, where he became the Association of Missionary in 2014. Uh, immediately after we got there, one month after we were there, he had a mini stroke, uh, which affected his speech. And um, we recovered from that, and then in t later on in 2015, we started having the slurred speech issues again, and we thought, okay, we must have had another mini stroke. But uh, after going to many doctors and so forth, we discovered, no, it's not a stroke. He has a disease called myasthenia gravis, which is in the same family as ALS. The difference is this: his disease, MG, as I'll call it for short, only affects his voluntary muscles. Um, so he can live with it for years. Functioning with it can be the challenge. Um, when it was first diagnosed, when we first started presenting with the symptoms, it started out very slowly uh, with uh, not being, you know, having the slurred speech then not being able to chew, then not being able to swallow, and then not being able to speak. Um, that all happened, he was diagnosed with that in December of 2015. In February of 2016, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, so in June of 2016, we had to have the full prostatectomy. Because of the MG, he had major complications and the MG became generalized so that it affected his entire body, not just the facial muscles. Uh, at one point in time, he could not stand, he could not walk, he could not sit up. And uh, we were, he was basically bedridden. And uh, by the grace of God and medical science, uh, we found the, med the magical cocktail to get the drugs in him that, that work. And uh, um, so the muscles can function uh, but it's something that we will live with 
for the rest of his life. It, unless the Lord decides to miraculously heal him, which we all know he can, and we do pray for that, uh, we also understand what Paul was told when, when Christ told Paul, this is what you're going to live with because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that's exactly what happens on a daily basis in Fulton's life. God's strength is definitely made perfect in, in Fulton's weakness. And uh, so, um, but we, we do the medical treatments, we take all the pills, and every two weeks we drive from West Helena to Little Rock for infusions and uh, so that those muscles can continue to function. And now you can't shut him up. He preaches all the time. The talking's good, the eating's good, the standing, the walking, everything. And he just gets a little tired and little, you know, we have to make sure we get the pills in him. Right, right. <laughs> on time. On time. Because <laughs> if he doesn't, and we, you know, that, that's, that's funny in and of itself because I have to set an alarm on his phone because he won't pay attention to the clock, and then sometimes he doesn't even pay attention to the alarm. So yeah. anyway, but, yeah. uh, but God, but the, you know, the, the thing about faith is in order to prove it, you have to go through some junk. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say you have faith uh, in God and faith in what God can do and faith in how God wants to use you in spite of all the junk that's going on. But the only way for that to be evident is for you to walk through some, some junk. It's some, some junk in the yeah. process. And uh, you don't, uh, it's easy to say it. It's a whole nother picture when it comes to living it. And while I wouldn't want to wish this upon anybody, and there are days I wish it would go away, there are also those moments that I would not take anything for it, simply from the standpoint of seeing God at work in his body, through his body, knowing that that's God's power that is enabling and empowering him and giving him the ability to do what must be done at that moment. And uh, having the opportunity to share with the medical field. The, we spent three months in the hospital because of all the complications in 2016. 90 days there at Baptist and I almost lost him three times. He almost died on me three times. And in all that time period, dealing with nurses and, and doctors, when they would walk through those doors, it was like my husband, now, I, I wasn't this way, okay? I'm the one standing over on the sidelines going, what are you doing to him? Don't hurt him. Leave him alone. Tell me what that is, blah, blah, blah. He's laying on the bed trying to talk through clenched, clenched teeth and saying, what's your name? How, you know, tell me about your family. Uh, are you from here? And inevitably, he would find a way to get the conversation to Christ and be able to tell them, God doesn't owe me anything. Uh, he's already shown his love for me by what he did on the cross with Christ. He doesn't have to heal me. He doesn't owe me anything. I'm here for two reasons, and that's to bring him glory and to become more like him. And if this is what it takes for that to happen, then that's what it is, and I, I rejoice in it. And uh, so that, that was my beloved. Like I said, I, I, I didn't have that uh, every day. Uh, there were days that uh, I was, you know, was a, a, a basket case. And, uh, but uh, by watching him and his strength and seeing God just totally fill the room with his presence, um, I would sing to him. One of the songs 
uh, that I would sing, and the nurses would come in, and uh, he'd go, my wife can sing. Uh, you need, you need to hear her sing. Glenda, sing for them. Sing my favorite song. And so I would go, It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Or Jesus paid it all. You know, one of those songs that were, were his and that he loved, that he wanted to hear. So faith was very, very real. And, it, you know, we wanted people to understand that we weren't just followers of Christ because it was easy. We were followers of Christ because it was the only thing we knew how to be. Yes. That's, yes. It's who he is. He's Lord. And I think that that's such an encouragement for all of us as we think about our stories and we think about God's present, active power and his presence in the midst of the struggles, that he is conforming us yes. to his image and that we can bring yes. him glory. Yes. And as we do that, then it's really not about us. No. It really is about no. him and taking every opportunity to just give account for the hope that we have Amen. in Christ. Amen. And so, Glenda, I have one last question for you, and we're going to end all of our podcasts this year with this question. And so I can't wait to hear what you have to say. What inspires you? I mean, you're a woman that inspires me. So I want to know what inspires you? Being able to see the light bulb go off in someone's eyes. When when I have those opportunities to share a Bible study and you ask those the, the questions or bring up the moments and then all of a sudden you, you see, I see a woman get it. Whether it's, oh, that's what God wants to do with me. He wants to use me, just like I am, with wrinkles and all and warts and all and, and the, all the weirdness that's there. God really wants to use. I love to see those light bulb moments go off in, in women. And now that I am in more of an equipping role, as the wife of an associational missionary working with ministers' wives, we have some young pastors' wives that I am loving to see them walk through some hard stuff sometimes in ministry and get to getting to be there to maybe hold a hand or a shoulder to cry on. That's what inspires me is knowing that right here at this moment in time, can't talk about tomorrow, can't talk about last year, but right here in this moment in time, I am in I am enabling and equipping other pastors' wives to come down a road that's going to be tough. There, it's going to be there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some things that they're going to run into that they are not going to like, and they're going to want to run away from just as hard as they can. But knowing that they're not in this, they're not in this alone. God is walking with them in this, and we will stand shoulder to shoulder with them and say, you know what? You hang on, sister. Let, you know, you're falling down. Let me help you pick, let me pick you back up. I've been there, done, been, been there, done that. Got the t-shirt, sold that t-shirt, got another one, okay? So we, we can do this. You can do this. God can do it in and through you. Just roll with it. Remember to breathe and look for the lights to start picking through the tunnel every now and then because there will be holes in the tunnel. The tunnel's going to be dark. 
but every now and then the chinks get knocked out of, of the tunnel walls and the light does come through. You will survive and this too will pass. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Well, Glenda, you are a joy. Thank you. You are a joy. You serve as a network uh, leader for your regional area. You're on, uh, you're involved in women's uh, WMU and uh, missions ministry work here. Your imprint is all over the state of Arkansas and all over the lives of women. And I share that, number one, to give glory to God, but also for you who are listening, who maybe you think your past has disqualified you. Maybe you think that there's not a place for you to have a story in God's unfolding story. Just know that God is a redeeming God and He takes that mess and He brings it a message. And I'm so thankful that you're willing to share your story so that we can all be encouraged to look to Jesus and to point others to Him. One of the things I have on my Facebook page is, my past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Inspire on the Go. We hope that you will tell your friends about it. Give us a like, subscribe, share. Thank you, friends, for enjoying us on this episode of Inspire on the Go. Thank you, Glenda, and I cannot wait to see the rest of your story unfold. Thanks for listening. I hope today's episode helps you embrace the full, free, abundant life that God provides. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Inspire on the Go. If you would like more encouragement to help you grow in your faith, visit my website at andrealennonministry.org. Come back next time and enjoy another episode of Inspire on the Go.